Uh, I'm also going to be reading the Bible for us. So if you'd like to follow along, I'll be reading Luke 15 from verse 11 to 32. Uh, So you can follow along in your Bibles or it'll be on the screen behind me. So Luke 15 from verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a, do- to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks, Beck. Hey, everyone, my name is Ben, if we haven't met before, and we are going to look at that whole passage, uh, so it's good that we had that read out. Hey, uh, we are in a series starting today called Big Questions, and um, it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to recognize we all have questions. Every one of us, I think, when we've, uh, if you're sitting here today, you've been a Christian for a long time, or maybe this is your first time in a long time in a church, we've all got questions. And so it's worth slowing down, asking those questions, and uh, getting answers to them. And so we're going to look at four questions in this series, but if there's things that come up today and you've got more questions about them, I'd encourage you to write them down. I'd love to talk to you after the service. Or in April, we're starting uh, the Alpha course, which is a chance for you to ask your own questions. So that's all coming up. But right now, I'm going to pray again. And the reason for this prayer right now is because we're about to hear God speak. And so we're going to ask that God would speak to us. And we're going to ask that he would help us understand. So let's pray again. Father, as we come before you, we pray that you would speak, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. And we pray right now that whatever's been going on, Lord, that 
in our weeks, in, in the month, this year already, whatever's been happening, we pray that for the next little bit, that you would help us slow down and hear from the living God and be transformed by what we hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question that we've got in our series is this, is Christianity good when Christians are bad? Now, it's an important question to ask because when you think about the history of the church, the reality is that the church has not always acted good. In fact, uh, many times the church has acted poorly. And often when we think about this idea, one of the things that continues to be brought up is the idea of the Crusades. Now, if you haven't heard of the Crusades, they are holy wars. Uh, People often think that it's religion that causes war. And so uh, the Crusades were holy wars, uh, created and started by people who claimed to be Christians. Now, if you haven't heard of these things, they, they were around the 11th to the 14th century. There were around five Crusades. And the first one happened in 1099 by a guy called Peter the Hermit. He was uh, a, a guy who rallied his Christian army and uh, went on the uh, attack. Here's a quote of what happened. This is from John Dixon, a historian. He said this, The massacre that occurred on the 15th of July, 1099, suffice to say that few were spared. Jews were burned alive in synagogues. Muslims were cut to pieces and tortured by fire. One Jewish witness to uh, the event speaks of the horrors, but notices by way of concession that at least the Crusades did not rape the women as other invaders had done. Talk about damning with faint praise. This was the first of five Crusades, And they were all horrible, horrific. They left a stain on Christianity. And they created a problem for the church throughout history. And the the problem is, when we think about the church, we think about Christianity, it, it, it stains the message. We think, how is Christianity good when the church has acted so bad? And of course, when we think about the church's actions, this, of course, just scratches the surface. Because if you think about anything that's happened in the last 50 years where the church has been mentioned, this is not the only thing where the church is under scrutiny. Whether it is sexual abuse within the church and the way that the church has hidden that up. Whether it is things like domestic violence or the misuse of money, the reality is the church has been under scrutiny and rightly so. And then we think not just what's happened in public, but of course we all know Christians. We may be here today with the the only Christian that we know, or maybe you've been around Christians for a while, and the reality is we might have felt the pain from Christians that we know. And so what we need to do is we just need to think about this question. Is Christianity good when the church has acted so bad? Is Christianity good when Christians have acted poorly? or, Or does the way that Christians have acted impact or reflect the message of Christianity? Well, this is the question we're going to think about this morning. And we're going to think about this question by looking at this passage today. But we're actually going to ask three smaller questions that help us answer the bigger question. Okay, so the three smaller questions are this. We're going to ask the question first and foremost, what is Christianity? And then we're going to think about the question, is Christianity good? And then where did we get wrong? Okay, that's where we're going this morning. So let's start by asking the question, what is Christianity? So if you've got your Bibles there today, we're going to have, it, uh, we're going to have a look at Luke 15. Because here is a story that Jesus tells to capture the essence of what Christianity is. Now, Jesus tells a parable. A parable is essentially just a story with a deeper meaning. And in this parable, Jesus sets it up in verse 11, where he says there was a man who had two sons. Now, the story has a deeper meaning. These these people represent people. 
Okay, and, and the, the way we understand that, the context helps us. So you can see this in chapter 15, verse 1. There's two groups of people that Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking in a real-time place in history to two groups of people. One group of people is the sinners. Okay, so they are the, in the culture, they were the, the, the money launderers, they were the prostitutes, the sex workers. This is the type of people in the group called the sinners. They were essentially the bad people. Then you've got the good people who were the religious leaders. And, and good is, in inverted commas there, they were the good people. They were the, you know, the church-going type of people. They were the guys who looked like and appeared like they had it all together. And, and Jesus is telling a story about a man who represents God with two sons, the, the good and the bad, the sinner and the religious. Now, now how's this story going to unfold? Well, let's have a look. Because he, he wants to show us the essence of Christianity, and it starts with the younger son. So verse 12, we see the younger son comes to the father and asks for his share of the estate or his inheritance. He, he, the younger son here is asking essentially that his father would pay him out now. Now this is a, a problem because you think about it, when do you get your inheritance? It's when your parents might pass away, right? That's when you get your inheritance. So here, the younger son, the bad guy, is asking the father for his money now. He's essentially saying, I wish you were dead. That's a big deal. Right? He's, he's saying he's separating himself from the family. He's separating himself relationally. He's saying he wishes the father was dead. And, and why does he want this money? Well, we see why he wants this money. It's essentially to go and have a massive party. Okay, that's what we read. Uh, verse 13, he goes off to a distant country and squanders his wealth in wild living. Now, the word squandered there is where essentially we get this word prodigal son from. Prodigal just means reckless. And he's reckless. You know, he took this, the father's money to go and have a massive party. But how does that go for him? Well, verse 14, he spends everything and then a severe famine breaks across the whole country. So he, he's got no money left and now famine is across the whole country. Now, it, it does strike me as interesting because even when we think about this today, you know, so often you can put your hope in money, right? But sometimes it's external factors that take that money away. So for this guy, yes, he was partying and squandering his money on the party, but there was also a famine. And it's just interesting to me, because I think like many of us might have experienced this lately with, you know, different things going on that takes the money away, the security of money away, you know, whether it was a, a famine or a pandemic or supply chain issues or rate rises or whatever it is, the truth is that money appears secure, but it, it never really is. And so often it can be things outside of our control that take that away. Here, this is the story for the younger brother. He has a massive party, a famine comes, and he's left with nothing. So, so what does he do? Well, he tries to work, first and foremost. He, he tries to work, but he realizes as he's working that he's working with the pigs, and the pigs are better off than him. And so he realizes something. Verse 17, have a look at what happens. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he got up and went to his father. So here's this moment. He loses everything. After telling his father he wishes he was dead, he loses everything. And then in this moment with nothing, he comes to his senses. I love this image. You know, I imagine him lying in bed at night looking up to the skies and thinking, how did life get like this? Have you ever had that moment? Or, or when you like wash your face in the mirror and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're thinking, when did this happen? How did this happen? 
Here he is, he comes to his senses and he realizes that he'd be better off as a hired servant with his father than he would be partying and living it up and now working with the pigs. And so he decides to go back to the father. Now, now, as he goes back to the father, of course, let's change gears and think, how is the father going to react? If this was your son, how would you react if this happened? Now, potentially, you know this experience all too well, but the, the truth is, as we think about this, I think we could understand if the father was to send the son away. You know, he's just said to his father that he wishes he was dead. He's taken half of the money, his inheritance, away. He's left the father alone to work on the farm or whatever it is by himself. And now he comes back. How would you react if that was you? Well, let's see how the father reacts. Because we read about this in verse 20. He goes up and goes back to the father. And then in verse 20, it says this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, we're just going to stop there because this is a little point, but it's important to think about. While he was a long way off, he saw him. Now, think about that. How do you see someone a long way off? You know, if you've got visitors for lunch today, when are you going to see them? You're going to see them when they come to your house and they knock on your door, right? That's when you see the visitors. So how would you see your visitors if they were a long way off? You would need to be waiting for them, looking for them. Here, we get this essence of the, of the Father, the heart of the Father. He's not just inside, He is longing, He's waiting for the Son to come back. And we see, that from, we see that in the verses, because from a long way off, the Father saw Him, and He's filled with compassion for Him. And He ran to His Son. He throws off all the, so, uh, all the social and cultural norms. He, he runs to His Son and throws His arm around Him and kisses Him. He embraces this Son. He embraces His Son because He says later, and then throws a party for Him, because the Son was lost, but now He's found. He was dead, but now He's alive. The Father reacts in such a beautiful way here. The Son was lost, but now He's found. Now, now here in this story, despite all the Son has done, the Father reacts in this way. And what Jesus wants us to see here is that this is the very essence, the heart of what Christianity is. Christianity is the message that there is a Father who longs to show you compassion. There is a God in heaven that wants to show you compassion, and He's looking for you. And He wants to invite you into the family, He wants to celebrate with you and, and, and enjoy you and not write a list of things that you should have done to shame you and guilt you and nitpick you, but actually instead invite you into the family so that you can be home again. This is the essence of Christianity. This is the heart of Christianity, that, that people far away from God can be brought back in. You know, it reminds me of a passage in Romans chapter 5, which says this, while, uh, God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it wasn't people who had it all together, that that's when Jesus decided, hey, they're pretty good, I will die for them. No, it's while we were still sinners, while we were far away from God, squandering our living, living it up, telling God to get stuffed and that we wishes, wished He was dead. It was there that Christ died for us. And He died for us so that we could be brought back into the family, into the Father's house, so that when we come back to the Father, the Father's not going to write this list of how you've got to pay things back, but rather you can be brought into the Father's house because of what the Son has done. This is what Christianity is. This is the heart of Christianity. And it's important that when we think about what Christianity is, that we, we get the essence of what Christianity is right. We start with the right question. Now, of course, over the next little bit, we will be exploring this together. 
And we're not that far away from Easter either. Easter is this moment where we sit down on the Friday and then on the Sunday thinking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is more to this, but the, the essence of it, the heart of it is this, that there is a Father who wants to welcome you home. A Father who is loving and, and loves to show people compassion. Not nitpicking, not shaming, not guilting, but inviting them into the family because of the work of Jesus. And it is such a beautiful message. And it's not just a beautiful message, it's a beautiful reality that people can feel and realize and experience. You know, when I think about my story, this is my story. I was the younger brother um, in the story. I grew up hearing about the father's love, but I wanted to live my own way, and I lived recklessly, pursued whatever I wanted to pursue. And, and I had all the things that I thought would make me happy, the relationship, uh, uh, you know, I was getting drunk most every second night and, and enjoying kind of the, the money and the freedom that I had, except I wasn't really enjoying it because when I went to sleep at night, there was this emptiness. I remember going to sleep at night countless times, crying myself to sleep, thinking there has to be more than this. And I came to my senses. But, but coming to my senses wasn't going, I've got to figure this out and sort myself out, and I was realizing I can't save myself. And that if I come back to the Father empty-handed with nothing in my hand, like the younger brother, what I will find is a God who loves to show compassion. That's what I found. It's what many of us have found here this morning. Many of us have found and experienced this, not based on what we've got to bring, but based on the goodness of Jesus. Because when we come to the Father empty-handed, what we find is a God that loves to show us compassion. This is the essence of Christianity, that God invites those who are far off to himself. So, so if this is you, if, if this is the description of your life, maybe you feel like you're far off from God. Maybe you felt lost for a little while. Maybe it's been a long time out of the game and, and even coming back this morning felt a bit uncomfortable. The truth is when we come back to the Father empty-handed, we will find a God who loves to welcome us in. But of course, this is only part of the parable. As Beck read out for us before, there is more to it and there is another son in this story. You see, the essence of the story is a father longs to welcome people home, but it's not just people who are far away from God by their actions. What do we mean by that? Well, let's keep reading because we meet the oldest son. Now, remember, the oldest son is the good guy, the religious guy, the church-going guy, the guy that you would think he's got it all together, the guy that doesn't really have a past that he's ashamed of, the guy that grew up in church and he's always been there. This guy is the older brother in the story. But you see, what we're going to see with the older brother in the story, the good guy, is that he's also lost. People have called this the parable of the lost son, but you could also call this the parable of the lost sons. The younger brother is far away from God with his actions, but the older brother is far away from God with his attitude. And we see this as we look to the older brother, because he's out in the field. And when we see he's out in the field, and then he hears that there's a party happening, and so he asks the servant, what's going on? And, and the servant says, well, there's a party going on because the younger brother's back, and, and the father's killed the fattened calf. Now, how's the older brother going to react? You know, again, if you can put yourself in his shoes, right? How would you react if this is you? If you're the older brother, you've stayed home. You've worked hard. The younger brother's left you to do all the work. You've had to work. You've had to slave away. And now the younger brother's back and gets the party. How are you going to react in that moment when you hear there's a party? You know, if selfishly you're thinking it's not fair, well, that's kind of what he's thinking as well. He's angry about it. Verse 28, he's angry about what's happened and refuses to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him because the essence of this story is about a God and father who longs to welcome people back, 
whether they are far away from their actions or far away from their attitudes, the father goes out towards him. But look at verse 29. This is how the older brother responds. And, and, and see where he sees himself fitting in the family. Verse 29. He answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Now, if you're a father in this room, could you say that's true about any of your children? There's no way that this guy is true, right? There's no way that I've never disobeyed your orders. As if that's true, mate. Of course you have, but this is his attitude of himself. And then look where he sees himself fitting into the family. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son, this son of yours, is that how you describe your siblings? No, that... You describe your siblings as my brother or my sister, right? But not this brother. He says, this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes. Now, again, how does he know that? He didn't even know what was happening. How does he know that he squandered it with, with, with prostitutes? I, I think he's listening here. He's, he's listening to the gossip, the whispers. He's heard some things about the younger brother. But he says this, when he comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now, now, here in this older brother, you, you see it, don't you? Can you, can you see it? He, is, is he close? Is he in the family? No, he, he's showing us here that it's possible to be within the proximity of the father and yet to be far away. And, and the truth is this, is, this is true for all people who think they're good. And it's particularly a danger for anyone who is religious the danger is that you think you're close to the father just because you're in the proximity of the father. But if ever you think that you're close to the Father because of what you've done, because of your work, because of your past, because you've never disobeyed the Father, the truth is you might be further away than you realize. Older brothers can be just as lost as younger brothers. And, and the warning signs are when we think we're better than others. The warning signs are when we think we're, you know, we, we start to think that we're pretty good. We have this attitude of better than thou. You know, we look at other people and think, how could they possibly do that? These are the warning signs for the older brother, but we've got to realize it's possible for older brothers to be just as lost as younger brothers. Now, now the story finishes with the father going out to him in verse 31 and, and 32. And he says, we had to celebrate because this younger brother was lost, but now he's found, he was dead, but now he's alive. And then the story just finishes. And it, 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 if you want to know the ending of the story, it does hit you the wrong way because you're kind of like, well, tell us what happened with the older brother. But, but of course, what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's not just telling a story. He's, he's trying to involve and invite other people into the story. And really what he's saying to, to the crowd that he's speaking to there, where you've got sinners and, and, and religious, you've got the bad guys and the good guys, what he's saying to the good guys is he's saying, are you going to stay far away from God or are you going to come close? You know, that, he, he's inviting the religious to come back to the Father. And not to come back because of their works, but to come back like the younger son, empty-handed. Because what Jesus is showing us here is the, the essence of Christianity, that there is a father who longs to show compassion to those who are far off from God, far away with their actions or far away with their attitudes. And the truth is, when we come to the father empty-handed, whether it's because of our actions or our attitudes, when we come to the father empty-handed, he will never send us away. This is the heart of Christianity. This is what Christian Christianity is. And, and when we think about our question this morning, we must start here. We must start by understanding Christianity is the message 
that those far away from God can come close because of the work of Jesus. Now, it raises the next question, which, okay, if that is Christianity, then is Christianity good? Is Christianity good? Because if we think about it, so many over the years have not acted good, right? As we started with, whether it's the Crusades or abuse scandals or misuse in the church, the reality is it it appears that Christianity is influencing people so much so that they act a certain way. And so if people act a certain way, then doesn't that say something about the original, right? You know the saying, the proof is in the pudding. Well, Well, when we look at the pudding, does it show us something about what's in it? Is it good? Well, the argument here that we want to make this morning is that just because people have been doing it wrong, Christianity doesn't mean that the message is bad. And to illustrate this, we're actually going to steal an illustration here from the book Bullies and Saints by uh, the author John Dixon, um, who writes this uh, story on, uh, or this book on the history of the church, both good and bad. It's a fascinating book if you want to read it. Uh, I'd highly recommend it. Um, to have a read in it. But he he uses this illustration, and uh, I'm not going to steal his illustration exactly because uh, he talks about classical music and him being uh, in that. And, you know, I just don't want to stuff the illustration up that he uses because I know that when I do, I get messages. And so I'll just tell my own illustration. I don't know classical music, but do you know what I do know? I know how to play one song on guitar, and it's Smoke on the Water. And in grade A, I got really good. Like, so good that I don't know why the band hasn't asked me to play on a Sunday. As if that wouldn't go with the Lord's Prayer in the background. I got so good. You know, if you, okay, if you don't know the song, forgive me for what I'm about to do. But, you know, dun, dun, dun. Okay, this is real. Dun, dun. I can't do the... Dun, dun. The, the C minus that I got... I think was beyond the, I don't know, it shouldn't have, that, that sh- I should have failed grade 8 music. But I didn't, I passed, praise God. The, the, the thing is though, you know, if you're a music teacher, surely you see this song like thousands of times, right? And you have seen it thousands of times. And some have been as bad as me, and others I'm sure have been pretty good. But do you know what happens? No one looks at a grade 8 playing smoke on the water and thinks Deep Purple, the band that wrote that song, must be terrible. You know, no one does that. You, you think, this is a cover song. And I got no idea what the original should sound like, but it shouldn't sound like this in my instance. But you know that, right? When a, when a kid plays a cover song, you get that the original is a different thing. Now, this is the illustration that John Dixon uses, and actually, he's got a quote reflecting on this, and he says this, I have often felt something similar when pondering Jesus Christ in the history of the church. Jesus wrote a beautiful composition. Christians have not performed consistently well. Sometimes they've been badly out of tune. Occasionally, they've played something entirely different. And when people turn to contemplate the original Christ makes Christians look bad. It's hard to argue with what he says there, especially when you look at the original. When you contemplate Jesus and the beauty of Jesus, you see how off-key at times the church has acted. Sometimes they've 
been playing a bad version of the original. Sometimes they haven't even been playing the song altogether. And the great tragedy would be if we threw out the original because of how the cover was played. Do you see, this morning, when we're thinking about this question, is it good, let's make sure we go to the original to look at if it's good. Let's make sure we ponder Jesus. Because the thing is, when we look to Jesus, we will find someone so beautiful and so good that not only brings a good message of forgiveness and life and peace, he brings equality, he brings dignity, he brings hope, he brings so much, and Jesus is so good and so beautiful. The great tragedy for all of us would be if we threw out the original because of how the cover was played. And so this morning, if you are here and you've experienced the cover being played in a bad way, you know, maybe you're here this morning and the truth is that over the years, there have been ways that you've been treated from people who claim to to be Christians and it hasn't been good. On behalf of Christians, as someone who's in a church, I just want to say, I'm sorry, because it shouldn't be like that. If Christians acted like Christ, there shouldn't be a way that you get caught in the hurt. And there have been times, I'm sure, that many of us have felt the sting of how people have acted, but, but I want to argue they haven't been acting like Jesus. So as we think about this question, not just what is Christianity, but is it good? As we think about this, we must go to the original to look at why it's good. So what is Christianity? It's the message that the Father longs to show compassion to those who are far away. Is it good? When we look to Jesus, we see that it is good. So then it raises the third question. Okay, so where have we gone wrong? Where have we gone wrong in this? Well, where the church, I think, at times have gone wrong, it's obvious. You think about music, right? So let's go back to the illustration. You think about the music. How do you know that the song's not played right? You know because you've got the original, right? So you know when when a chord is out of key because you know what the original sounds like. And and here, where the church has gone wrong, kind of as John Dixon said, you, you look to Christ and you see what we should have been acting like, and so this is where we've gone wrong. Now, this is an important thing to recognize here because the truth is Jesus sets a standard for the church that's far greater than culture sets for the church. Okay, so let's think about some of the issues in our culture in the last little while that have been the big issues for our church. Not just our church here, but for the church more broadly. Think of the big issues that, have, uh, you know, that keep coming up when people are criticizing the church for how the church has acted. So, you know, we started with the Crusades, or you think about, um, you think about abuse scandals, you think about the misuse of money. The truth is, when we think about these things, the reason we know that those things are bad is actually because of Jesus, whether we are aware of it or not. Okay, so, so this is actually an argument that uh, Tom Holland writes about in a book called Dominion, or a more accessible book, if you're interested, is a book called The Air That We Breathe by Glenn Shrivener, which I'd love to recommend to you if you're interested in this. But basically, the idea is, we live if we live in a society that's been influenced by Christianity, we have a set of morals and ethics that come from Christianity, whether we are aware of it or not. Okay, so, so where does the rubber hit the road on this? Well, let's think about one of the big issues that the church has been criticized of over the years. And I just want to say, too, if there's things that I'm about to talk about that raise issues for you, we would love to talk about it. But one of the big issues within the church over the last 50, maybe probably longer, has been sexual abuse within the church. And up front, 
There is no defending that. It is evil. The church ought to be a place of safety and security. And where this has gone wrong, there is no excusing it. You know, if we think of the, the, the people, you, you listen to these stories and you realize how the church has stuffed this up. And again, if, if you've experienced that, I'm deeply sorry because it's not how the church should act. And Jesus is very real with how, with the consequences of stuff like this. Jesus speaks very explicitly on this. So that there's no excusing There's no excusing this. And we don't need to defend this when it comes to cultural realities. There's there's no defending it. However, what I think this book argues, which I think is a great point, is the reason we know that this is wrong is actually because of Jesus himself, whether we are aware of it or not. You see, when it comes to something like this issue, particularly of people under age, The truth is, we think it's common sense that that's wrong, right? And I think it is common sense, like it feels common sense. But but what this points out, this book points out, is that throughout history it has not always been common sense. Now this is a a crazy idea, but when, when, when Christianity was introduced, it was introduced in the Roman culture, and within the Roman culture they did not view women and girls this way. In fact, they viewed it completely different. So if we think about the question, what is a little girl worth? Which if you've been following the Rachel Dolhelander stuff in America, that was the big question at the end of her uh, speech in, in the courtrooms. What's a little girl worth? I think our default is we want to say everything. Yes? We want to say everything. As someone who has a little girl, everything. But throughout history, this is not how cultures have always seen this. So let's think about the culture of Rome, where Christianity was introduced. This is what Glenn Shrivener points out in this book. Here's the quote. It says this, If you asked a Roman how much is a little girl worth, they might have offered a number of answers. She's free if you manage to salvage her as a baby from the rubbish heap, the rubbish heap where she was exposed. If slave traders got to her first, then you'd have to pay them perhaps eight months' wages to own her. Once yours, though, her body belongs to you outright. It is accepted that every master is entitled to use slaves as he desires. If, though, you wanted a girl purely on a pay-as-you-go basis, prostitution was, in the words of historian Carl Harper, a dominant institution flourishing in the light of day. A visit to the nearest brothel would have set you back half the price of a loaf of bread. tragic, right? In ancient Rome, in ancient Rome, the sexual boundaries was not determined on consent or gender or age. The sexual boundaries were on social status and position in society, and if you were a man in society, you could essentially do whatever you wanted, and the truth is that the idea that it was evil would not have even come into your psyche, right? It wasn't a cultural thing that that was evil. 
But of course it is now, right? So what changed? Well, let's have a look. Glenn sums it up like this. He says, so how much is a little girl worth? We answer everything. Others in history would laugh at us all the way to the brothel. Why the difference? In a word, Christianity. You see, the reason now we would say that a little girl is worth everything is because Christianity has influenced culture over the years, has changed cultures throughout the years. When Jesus arrived in the Roman culture, what happened is people began to follow Jesus and accept the teaching of Jesus, their cultures began to change and people began to change. So much so that now we live in a world where this is the norm. But the reason it is the norm is because Jesus told us that. Jesus came into this culture, the Roman culture, and he said, no, dignity and worth is not given to you whether you are a man or a woman. It's given to you by God. Jesus spoke into this culture and he said, let the little children come to me because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And Jesus said in this culture where men could do whatever they want, Jesus said in this culture, sex is not up to you whenever you want to do whatever you want. No, it's actually within the boundaries of marriage from two committed people who have committed to each other. And because of Jesus' words, cultures began to change. Whereas now we're living in a culture where we would say, what is a little girl worth? We'd say everything. But it's because of Jesus' words. So where did we go wrong in this? Well, we stopped listening to Jesus' words. We stopped following Jesus. Christians, the word is in it, Christ. It's in the word. We're meant to follow Christ. We're meant to be like Christ. Or as John Dixon says, Christ has made Christians look back. And so, again, the church moving forward, what we must do is we must start looking to Christ again. Because if the church would just look to Christ, what we would begin to see is that the standards for us are much higher than the culture sets for us, which was such a good thing in Rome, and it continues to be a good thing today. And if the church can be like Christ, we would be a far safer place and a far better place for us all to exist. So we need to come back to Jesus. So is Christianity good? When Christians are bad, well, the message is good. The heart is good. The essence of Christianity is good. And when you look to Jesus, it's good. But the truth is, over the years, we've played a bad tune. And so today, for us as a church, we must feel the challenge of this and come back to playing the tune and being more like Christ. And and the great tragedy for us would be to give up on the message of Christ because of how Christians have acted. It is good. Now, here is the, the first question. It's just one question. Now, today, there might be things that have been raised for you, more questions. We'd love to talk through those things. We've got a whole series of more questions. We've got three more questions to look at in this series, but then we've got Alpha coming up as well, which is a chance to ask more questions. We all have questions, but we can find answers to those questions. We've got to wrestle with those questions, and we've got to keep wrestling with those questions because Christianity is good. Now, there is a challenge here, too, for those of us who are at church, who call Southside their home. If you know people in your life that don't yet know Jesus, let's remember what we're inviting them to. We're inviting them to a father who wants to welcome people home. There's a challenge here for us all. But as we think about this now, let's spend some time in prayer. Let's slow down for a moment and pray to our God who is good that he'd help us in the middle of this. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now in this moment, we stop to reflect on the compassion of the Father. We stop to come back to the original, 
And what we see in Jesus is someone so beautiful and so good who gave us such a beautiful and good message from the forgiveness that we can receive when we come home to joy and life and peace to dignity and equality. And we thank you for this. God, we ask this morning that you would help us see the goodness of Jesus. Father, we also pray too now that you would begin to do a work in all of us. Father, for those of us who are sitting here feeling a little bit raw, we pray that you would comfort us. We pray that you would be with us. And for those, Lord, who call Southside their home or call themselves a Christian, Father, we pray that you would help us to play the message of Jesus and to keep coming back to this. Give us the grace now, Lord, we pray, as we walk through this stuff as a community, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.